0: Welcome to the Faith Connections Podcast, a partnership between the Foundry Publishing, Nazarene Discipleship International, and Holiness Today. Welcome to our study this week of Exodus chapter 14, verses 1 through 4, verses 10 through 14, verses 19 to 23, and verses 30 and 31. My name is Scott Rainey. I serve with the Church of the Nazarene in the area of Nazarene Discipleship International or NDI. This adult Sunday school video lesson is provided in collaboration between the Foundry Publishing and NDI. The Sunday school lesson is intended to support the local church's efforts to make disciples who make disciples. Please feel free to use this video in any way that helps your church or its families. For the last 3 weeks, we've been following the story of a people as found in the Old Testament book of Exodus. We learned of the birth of a Hebrew baby named Moses. He was born into tumultuous times as the Hebrew people were ruthlessly enslaved under the heavy hand of Pharaoh and the Egyptians. As a three month old baby, Moses was saved from sure death by Pharaoh's own daughter, a princess. He was adopted and raised in the palace as a prince in Egypt. With Hebrew roots, however, Moses began to fill the burden for his own people under Egyptian slavery. In a moment of passion, Moses killed an Egyptian slave master who was mistreating a Hebrew slave. Moses became a fugitive and fled to an area called Midian for the next 40 years. Exodus records that God saw the plight of the Israelites He heard their cries for mercy and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God's timing for action on behalf of his people had come. God spoke to Moses from a burning bush on Mount Sinai and called to him to be the one who would go to Pharaoh and lead the people of of Israel out of bondage. Moses was slow to accept this call, but in the end, he obeyed the voice of the Lord. Pharaoh was equally reluctant to accept Moses' message to free the the Israelites. He hardened his heart and refused to let the Hebrew slaves go free. To convince Pharaoh, God performed wonders. They came in the form of 10 consecutive plagues recorded in Exodus chapters 7 through 12. With each plague, Pharaoh's heart remained hard. He refused to obey God's directive regarding God's people. The 10th plague, the death of the firstborn of all Egypt, finally broke Pharaoh's resolve, and he allowed the Israelites to leave Egypt according to Exodus chapter 12 verses 29 to 32. In Exodus chapter 14, we encounter God's people on the move hurrying away from the land of slavery, trying to put as much distance as possible between themselves and Pharaoh's army. God, however, wasn't finished revealing himself to Pharaoh, to Egypt, and to his own people, Israel. One final definitive step of deliverance from Egypt would make his sovereignty evident for all to see. To make it possible, God would move the Israelites into a precarious situation. And together, we're going to read Exodus chapter 14, starting with verse 1 through verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pi-hahiroth, between Migdal and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea, directly opposite Baal Zephron. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and all the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. And then skipping to verse 10. it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring to you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. Verse 19, then the angel of God who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to one side and light to the other side. So either neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind, and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground, with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. And then last, verses 30 and 31, That day the Lord saved Israel from the hand of the Egyptians, And Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. Our story began with a bizarre travel itinerary. The plan for Israel's flight out of Egypt would have seemed pretty obvious. Get away as fast as you can. Run for your lives. The Lord, however, said to Moses, tell the Israelites to turn back. Exodus chapter 14, verse 2. Turn back? Yes. And set up camp in a location that would clearly cut off your escape route stop running when you have the Egyptian fortress on one side of you and the sea on the other side of you. When you're trapped, you will know that you're in the perfect spot. Why would God purposely put his people in this dangerous place? Has God ever told you to do something that simply did not make sense to you? It's happened a number of times in my life. I remember one time early in my life as a pastor in Fort Wayne, Indiana, I had been asked to go visit the father of a member of our church. I agreed and went to see him early in the week when I entered the room of Mr. Kaufman, not knowing his physical condition, I found him alert and clearly in his right mind. He was unable to speak. However, due to a recent stroke, the reason for his hospitalization as a new pastor, I didn't know how to handle the situation I was in. How do I have a conversation with someone who can't talk back to me? The conversation was very short, as you can imagine. I did my pastoral duty by praying for his health. I told the man that I would return soon, and then I walked out. When I reached my car, God said similar words to me that he had said to Moses. Turn back go back in and talk with Mr. Kaufman again. After a little conversation or maybe some arguing with God, I knew I needed to go back. When I re-entered Mr. Kaufman's room, he looked surprised to see me back in his room. I told him what had happened and my sense that God wanted me to come back to him. I asked him if he knew his relationship with God was in order. He shook his head no and a tear ran down his cheek. I shared the good news with him that day, and Mr. Kaufman placed his trust in Jesus through a silent but heartfelt prayer to God. Two days later, Mr. Kaufman had another stroke and passed away. I never would have made it back to him if I had left the first time I had come to see him. God's turn back was his plan for salvation and deliverance of Mr. Kaufman. The action of the Israelites to turn back presented them as confused and baffled in the flight in their flight from Egypt. Pharaoh would see this perfect opportunity to ambush his former slaves. The Lord, however, had picked the location to gain glory and to be honored by Israel, Egypt, and all the neighbors who would soon learn of the sovereignty of Israel's God. Exodus chapter 4 verse 4 is one of those hard passages of scripture, so I want to pause and take a look at it today. God says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. What is meant by these words? We see in scripture that God gives free will to people, but did he give free will to Pharaoh as well? Let's take a closer look. Exodus gives multiple reports of hardening Pharaoh's heart. Some of these reports make clear that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Some, on the other hand, seem to say that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. So did Pharaoh harden his own heart, or did God harden Pharaoh's heart? It's interesting to look at the specific passages in order to see the, a pattern develop. And so I want to just share the screen again, putting up passages that speak about the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. The ones that are listed as Pharaoh are where it says Pharaoh hardened his heart, and the ones where it's listed as God are saying that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. When faced with actual decisions to be made one way or the other at a given moment, Pharaoh hardened his heart seven times before the text mentions God hardening Pharaoh's heart even once. The reality is that God did not arbitrarily harden Pharaoh's heart when Pharaoh intended to be reasonable and just. In fact, every disaster God visited on Egypt was just as much a chance for Pharaoh to accept God's grace and mercy as it was for his continuing to sin by hardening his heart. As a narrative develops, when God said, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, it could simply mean I will arrange the circumstances to force Pharaoh to decide each time he will face a decision. Each time he will reject justice and mercy, and each time he will choose a hard heart. As both Pharaoh and the Egyptians realized the value of the labor force they had just lost in letting the Israelites go, Pharaoh mustered up his army to pursue the former slaves and bring them back. He had acted exactly as God knew he would. He had led his army toward the Israelite encampment Believing that he had uh, the Hebrews trapped there against the sea. As the Egyptians close in, in, ready for battle, the Israelites cry out to the Lord. Once again, they turn against Moses, who was only doing what God had told him to do. Forgetting how God had just showed his power with 10 devastating plagues on Egypt, the Israelites spoke and acted as if their situation. Was hopeless. Before we're not too hard on Israel, we all tend to forget the power and mercy God has shown us in our own lives. He acts in our life with great power, at times with miracles, deliverance, and certainly grace. We praise Him and we move on, quickly forgetting God's past victories as soon as the next emergency approaches. Spiritual maturity is evident in the lives of people, of God's people, when the world shudders in the face of calamity, but God's people rest secure in him. Lord, give us faith that turns to you without panic, trusting in a good father who always sees his people. The Israelites, trapped between the Egyptian army and the sea, now seemed to find life in Egypt, even in their captivity as slaves, just as alluring as freedom. While their life in Egypt had been difficult and their labor inhumane, at least they knew what to expect from the Egyptians. The only thing they saw now was impending death for everyone. Psalm chapter 106, verse 7, recounts this moment for Israel as rebellion against God. Here's what it says. When our ancestors were in Egypt, they gave no thought to your miracles. They did not remember your kindness, and they rebelled by the sea, the Red Sea. In this critical leadership moment, Moses draws their attention back to God. Moses understood that in times of great fear and hopelessness, people need encouragement, reassurance, and comfort. He acknowledged the clear and present danger of the Egyptians and reminded the people of the Lord who was with them and who would fight for them. They did not need to engage in battle because it was not their fight, but the Lord's. He instructed, his instruction was threefold do not be afraid. Stand firm and watch. The words of Moses echoes what God often tells his people at pivotal times like these. Whether they, these words are given to Abraham in Genesis 15 verse one, to Joshua in Deuteronomy chapter 31 verse eight, to Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter two verse six, to Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter one, verse eight, or to Mary, in Luke chapter 1, verse 30, or possibly even Christ's disciples in John chapter 6, verse 20. These words call us to actively trust in the God who is able to act on our behalf. Maybe you're going through a very difficult time as you hear this lesson. Your back is against the wall. You have obeyed Jesus, but you don't see any way out. Hear these common words from Scripture for you today. Do not be afraid. Stand firm and watch the deliverance the Lord has for you. Remember from Exodus chapter 14, verse 4, God's ultimate desire in this detour to the sea was that the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. If they didn't already, this final battle with Pharaoh's army described in Exodus chapter 14, verses 19 to 23, would certainly convince them. With the Israelites between a rock and a hard place, God manifested himself in several ways. Verse 19 speaks of the angel of God who moved from being in the front guard to being the rear guard. We also hear that the pillar of cloud moved to protect them from the Egyptian army. Verse 20 reveals that the cloud brought darkness to one side and light to the other side. The armies were separated by the cloud all night long. The Israelites were literally surrounded by God's presence and protection. Dr. Chick Shaver's new 365 day devotional called Living in the Blessing told the story of a man named Peter Gunnis in the devotional reading for September 18. Peter served as at the city, Kansas City Rescue Mission uh, years ago. One day, he encountered a large, angry homeless man just outside the rescue mission. The man grabbed Peter's wrists, twisted them, causing severe pain, and was in position to do serious bodily harm to Christ's servant. At that moment, a car pulled up alongside the street, carrying two very large men wearing cowboy hats. Between them was a vertically positioned rifle. Without turning their heads, the window of the car went down slightly, and one of the men said, let him go. The offending man, in fear of the two visitors, obeyed their command. Peter went back inside the rescue mission believing that God had sent two angels to rescue him that day. God, who created the universe, has the power and authority to do what he wants to do to rescue his people. In the case of Moses and the Israelites, we see one of the most well-known miracles of Scripture. While Moses raised his hand over the sea, God parted the waters. One commentator, Victor Hamilton, identifies several connections between the stories of creation, Genesis 1, the story of the flood, Genesis chapter 6 through 8, and the parting of the Red Sea, Exodus chapter 14. The spirit, or sometimes translated wind, is present in all three narratives. All three speak of God's ultimate control over the waters. In the ancient Near East, the waters were thought to be the abode of evil due to the unpredictable and uncontrollable nature of the sea. God, the creator, ordered the waters of in creation, controlled them in the flood, and used them as a means of deliverance for his people in the Exodus. Where there was no way forward, the Lord created a path On dry ground. The Lord fought for Israel in a way that they could never have imagined or prepared for. Where the Israelites imagined death, the Lord sustained life. When the waters parted before the people and they entered the sea on dry land, Pharaoh saw an opportunity to destroy them and charged forward in pursuit. God, their commander in chief, watched over the battlefield. And when the time was right, God brought confusion on the Egyptian army, according to Exodus chapter 14, verse 24. Even the chariot wheels of the Egyptian army jammed. At this point, the Egyptians finally recognized the implication of God's presence with the Israelites and at last were were willing to give up their pursuit. With the Israelites safely on the opposite shore, the water came crashing in on them, killing the Egyptian army. The Lord was seen as sovereign, even over the watery chaos. God had accomplished the goal he set before Moses at the beginning of this event. The Egyptians recognized God's power and presence with the Israelites. The Israelites who had once been terrified by Egyptians now feared the Lord, and put their trust in him. From this point on in the Jewish faith, the parting of the sea waters becomes a defining factor in the Hebrews' identity and experience as the people of God. Approximately 1,300 years later, early Christian believers placed water baptism as a defining factor in our identity and experience with God. With the memory of the Egyptian, of the Israelites passing through the water, Christians today must go through the water. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you've repented of your sins and put your trust in Jesus for salvation, but you've not yet been baptized, it's a good time to follow Jesus' example and the practice of the church since its first days. Talk to your Sunday school teacher or pastor about when you can take this important step of baptism, a step of Christian identity and experience with God. Thank you for listening to the Faith Connections podcast. If you wish to order Faith Connection materials for your local church, please visit thefoundrypublishing.com. If you've enjoyed this production and wish to hear more, visit holinesstoday.org slash podcast or find us on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts.